Well, howdy! I absolutely love that. It is great to have you guys back into town. We've missed you guys. Winter break is lonely and cold without you guys, and so it's a joy to have you guys back into town. If this is your first time to Southwood College, my name is Trey Corey. I'm the college pastor here at Grace, and uh, we are just ecstatic to have you guys back for a new year, a new semester. Uh, excited to launch this spring semester with you guys. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning and this spring semester, so if you have your Bible open to the book of Hebrews, we're actually going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, and as you guys are turning there, let me just say to you guys, if this is your first time visiting, you picked a great Sunday to visit because we are serving free lunch afterwards, all right? The sweet smell of lanes will begin to waft in at some point around 1210, all right? So we will, we will be sure to be wrapping up about that point. But we're excited to have you guys. I want to have a chance to kind of extend our morning with lunch and let you guys have a chance to even connect as a table, connect with each other about the winter break and connect with the families that are here as well. And so we are excited to see you guys. We're going to be in Hebrews 10. I want to pick it up uh, this morning in Hebrews 10, verse 32. Hebrews 10, verse 32. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 10, 32, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that, you went, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Why don't you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for a new year. We thank you for a new semester. We thank you for the things that you have already prepared in place for us this spring. Uh, Father, I pray this morning, even as we begin a new semester, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that you'd recenter us on who you are that you'd recenter us on a vision for the future that is sure and steadfast, and that you'd help us return to some of the basics of the spiritual life as we begin a new semester with so many things flying around. Lord, help us to navigate all of the options. Help us to know how to walk with you, not just for this spring semester, but for even for a lifetime. Lord, that's our prayer, and that's our hope, Lord. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Well, as we jump into the book of Hebrews this spring, I'll tell you guys, this is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It is an incredibly rich book. It is a book that is very Christ-centric, and that week after week, we're going to come back to the person of Jesus Christ. Who is he, and what has he done, and why does it matter? Week in, week out, we're going to see that really that Jesus is better than any other achievement, any other possession, any other affluence, or whatever it is that we might want to achieve or do with our lives, that Jesus, over and over again, we're going to see this uh, semester that he's better. And really, though, as we think about the book of Hebrews, as I think about the situation in the book of Hebrews, I kind of want to show you guys this morning, this is why we're starting in chapter 10, why the book of Hebrews was even written. I kind of want to help set the context and the situation of the book for you so you kind of understand what we're doing and what this book is all about. And as I think about the book of Hebrews uh, and the why that it was written and kind of its situation, I always think back to a 1997 documentary known as Hands on a Hard Body. Now, I don't suggest that you go Google that, all right? That'll end you in all kinds of trouble, all right? Uh, But Hands on a Hard Body was an actual real-life documentary produced in 1997 that was about a competition that occurred every single year in Longview, Texas, all right? It was by a Nissan dealership, and here's kind of the, the primary picture of the scene of the movie. It's this. It's a real movie, all right? Real documentary, all right? And every year, this Longview Nissan dealership would put on a competition, which they called Hands on a Hard Body. And the guy, idea was this, that uh, all these contestants would place their hands on a hard body truck. And the goal of the competition was this, that the last person to remove their hand from the hard body truck would get the hard body truck. 
This competition would go often more than 72 hours, more than three days, in which people are standing, not leaning, but standing next to and placing their hand on this truck. Every single hour, contestants were given a five-minute break, and every single six hours, they were given a 15-minute break. It was an intense affair, right? Uh, In fact, even the documentary itself, it kind of details the different characters or contestants in this little town of Longview that were competing in this, the kind of people that were drawn to this competition, the people that had trained for this competition, how they trained, I don't know, all right? But they took it very serious. You had veterans of the competition who would come out every single year. Uh, You had one guy that had won it like two out of the last three years. He was just kind of, as the the documentary uh, trailer would say, he was the big dog. He was when, uh, he knew how how the big dog's all right, it was just kind of his deal, all right? And he would trash talk to all the other contestants. It was the craziest affair. You know, it's one thing for about 24 hours, but when you go into the second day of the competition, when people haven't slept, they barely have been able to get off their feet at all, all of a sudden, all kinds of hilarity would ensue. Because you have these guys with kind of perky, or quirky personalities, but when you're about 48 hours into a competition and you've not slept, you've barely been able to sit, the competition, the documentary is absolutely hilarious, all right? And really for them, the main thing they wanted, the reason why they would even have people come alongside to watch them and to cheer them on was they knew they needed help to hang in and to hold on, right? Uh, as they would look back at all that they had been, they were quite aware of how absolutely fatigued and tired they were. But they needed people to help cheer them on to keep pressing forward, all for the sake of a simple, basic, hard body truck. Why do I bring up hands on hard body, right? Kind of random. But I think in many ways, what you're going to see in the book of Hebrews is something akin to that documentary. The book of Hebrews is going to be written to people who are not in a competition with their hand on a truck, but they are also in a competition that's all about endurance. In fact, even in chapter 10, what we read in verse 25, it talked about you are in need of endurance. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who are in a sense in a contest that's all about endurance. But in their contest, it's not about a hard body truck, but it's about the person of Jesus Christ. As we saw here in a minute, as we read that these were people who were encountering all kinds of tribulation, all kinds of hardship, the pressure was intense. And what this group of people wanted to do is they wanted to pull out of the competition and they wanted to depart, not just from a hands-on, a hard-body kind of truck competition, but they wanted to depart from walking with and knowing Jesus Christ. So the book of Hebrews is going to be written to a group of people who are trying to hang on and cling to the person of Jesus Christ, no matter the cultural pressures they were experiencing and the trials that were coming at them. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. That's what I want to show you from chapter 10 this morning. And as we jump into that, though, I want to show you not just the people who are encountering an endurance competition, but I want to argue to you guys that their competition is also one that we face as well. Like the writer of Hebrews will say that the spiritual life itself is a marathon, that it's not a semester-long sprint, but it is a lifelong marathon. I think for so many of us, as we step into a new semester, we just think about what we have to do this semester. And <laughs> May, somewhere in May, the last final really is kind of the finish line. And we give all that we have to this little sprint, and then we worry about what's after that later on. We often just look at life in semester-long sprints. And what I want to do from the book of Hebrews this morning and this semester is blow your paradigm and extend it so that you see the spiritual life as a lifelong marathon. Our greatest hope for you guys as students, our greatest hope for you guys as a church and as a college ministry is that you wouldn't just walk with God while in college, but that you would walk with God for a lifetime. The book of Hebrews is all about that concept and how you do it. It's an incredibly rich book. So that's where we're going to head this morning. That's where we're going to head this semester. Hebrews 10, as we jump in, three main ideas for you guys. The first is this. I want you guys to see the actual circumstances behind this book. Really, the, the specific threat to their endurance. 
I read you guys verses 32 and on, but I want to pick it back up. I want you guys to see exactly what was going on for this audience. Chapter 10, verse 32 tells us again, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, I want to stop right there real quick. We're going to see some really interesting passages in this book uh, as we walk through this spring semester. Some of the most controversial passages in our Bible, frankly. But chapter 10, verse 32 is a really interesting and really important footnote to understanding who this book is written to. The writer of Hebrews says it was written to a people who were once enlightened. And the point and what the writer of Hebrews is arguing is that these were men and women who came into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They knew who Christ was. They knew what Christ had done. And the question was, would they remain with Christ? They already had a relationship with him. The question would be, will they remain with Christ? And here's why they may not, because the pressure had gotten intense. And notice what they were actually practically facing. The writer of Hebrews says that they had endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. They weren't just mocked, they weren't just laughed at, but even more so, verse 34, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your own property. There were men and women that the the writer of Hebrews is writing to that had been in prison because of their faith. There were men and women who, because of their faith, their own possessions, their own homes were being taken away. Their professions and their jobs were being stripped. The pressure was absolutely intense upon them. It's really hard for us to kind of gather what that is like because that's just not typically our culture and what it feels like to be a believer in Jesus Christ in this current context in the Bible Belt. It's hard for us to identify with that. But that's what this audience is encountering, all kinds of pressure, all kinds of heat, and it's causing them to consider, maybe we should just walk away from this whole Christianity thing. I know that Jesus died for my sins. I know that he's great and he's awesome, but maybe we should just walk away. Maybe he's not worth it. What the writer of Hebrews is going to do week in, week out, he's going to say, no, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better than whatever pressure you're facing. He's worth it, so hang on and hold in or hold on and hang in, all right? That's what the writer of Hebrews is going to do week in, week out. And really, what the writer of Hebrews will do in this section is not just highlight what they were facing, but he's going to move their perspective, not just to the past of what they're experiencing or even the present, but he's going to constantly move their perspective to the future. Notice what he says in verse 34. He says, You showed sympathy uh, to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. He's going to say, Look at your stuff. It's been taken from you. But the reason why you're hanging with Jesus Christ is because you know that you have a possession that's coming in the future that's even better than what you just lost. Hang on and continue to walk with Jesus Christ. He continues to put their focus on the future when he says in verse 35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, something that's coming in the future. Hang on. Verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. The writer of Hebrews here in chapter 10 and through the rest of the book is going to continue to draw their vision to the future. Because really, it is your vision of the future that determines your response to the present and even the past. That as you encounter difficulties, as you encounter trials, even this spring semester, it's going to be your vision of what you believe is going to come in the future that will determine how you respond to it in the present and what you do as you move forward. How many of you guys have had the opportunity to see Unbroken yet in the theaters? Anyone? All right. How many of you guys had a chance to actually read the book? All right. 
Awesome. Amazing, amazing storyline. I haven't got to see it in the theaters yet, but I got to read the book and absolutely loved it. And so I don't want to ruin it for you guys. I'm not going to give you guys all the things in the book, but at some point halfway in the book, some of you guys know this, I remember reading it. And at one point halfway in the book, these guys uh, have had a plane wreck. They've gone down in war and they're floating on a raft with no food, no water for days upon days upon days. And I remember reading the book going, okay, I'm halfway through the book and we've already been lost at sea for like 30 days. Like what more could happen, right? horrific question to ask because that's the rest of the book and it was awful, right? Absolutely un- un- unimaginable difficulty, right? But something ends up happening about day 20, day 30 on the water that these three guys that were shipwrecked are on a raft and they begin doing this ritual three times a day in which they begin to actually imagine and one of the characters begins to highlight and talk about the way his mom used to make spaghetti, right? So you have these three guys with no food, lost at sea, with no shelter, their skin is absolutely cooking alive, right? And they're starving to death. And they begin to actually rehearse and paint back through a picture of one of the characters' moms cooking a spaghetti meal. And what they begin to do three times a day is highlight and walk back through not just that recipe, but how his mom would cook it and actually begin to envision eating it themselves once they got back to safety. And it wasn't just meals that they would do this for. They begin to picture and paint a, a vision of what the jobs they were going to have when they would get back home safely. They begin to picture the women that they were going to embrace when they got back home safely. They begin to picture the future and what would await them. And it's a really interesting quote. I want to read it to you guys. It's too long to put up on the slide. But here is a quote from the movie, and I think it's fantastic, or from the book. He says this, For Louis and Phil, two of the characters that were lost at sea, these conversations as they pictured the future were healing pulling them out of their suffering and setting the future before them as a concrete thing. As they imagined themselves back in the world again, they willed a happy ending onto their ordeal and they made it their expectation. With these talks, they created something to live for. In contrast to these two guys, there's another guy on the raft with them. His name was Mac. And here's what it says about Mac. Mac couldn't imagine a future. To him, it seemed the world was far too gone. And frankly, he believed his life was gone. (laughs) So you had these three guys on a raft that were going through unimaginable difficulty and their response to it was really different. Two of the guys could imagine a future and a vision for the future that was going to come. And that vision, that hope in the future pulled them through the past difficulties and the present that they were in, willing them and and shaping a perspective of what was going to come and what was worth living for. It's really interesting. The writer of Hebrews knows that when you and I encounter difficulty, what's absolutely imperative is that we have a certain and compelling vision for the future. I want to ask you guys, as you begin a new semester, what is your vision for the future? Is your vision for the future simply just this spring semester? Maybe your vision is this is the semester that you're going to get a 4.0. It hasn't happened in the previous three years of college, but this is the semester, right? Or maybe for you guys, it's, you know, hey, this is a semester. I'm going to get that boyfriend or girlfriend finally. Again, maybe it hasn't happened for the past three years, but this is the semester, right? For some of you guys, you're a graduating senior. This is the semester that you're going to graduate. You're going to walk across the stage. You're going to get a diploma. And Lord willing, you're going to get a job. And you're going to make some money. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, right? That's the future, right? For some of us, as we think about the future, we can't even get past much further past May. What the writer of Hebrews is going to do is he's going to paint a vision of the future that is so far past the semester. Because really, when our vision is just a semester based, often what we place our hope upon is something that is uncertain and something that is unsure. Really, the writer of Hebrews is going to paint a vision for the future that's not about something, but it's about someone. The writer of Hebrews is going to move them not just from the threat of their endurance, but to the reward of their endurance. And what he's going to put in front of them, this vision for the future is not something, but it's going to be someone. 
He's going to speak to that someone in verse 37. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 37. He says, For yet in a very little while he who is coming will come, and he will not delay. But for a people who are experiencing all kinds of difficulty and trial, the writer of Hebrews is going to move their vision of the future to not something, but to someone, and specifically it's to the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ is going to be the center point of this entire book. He is the epicenter of the book. He is the linchpin of the book. You remove him and you have nothing for the book of Hebrews. Because week in, week out, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, Jesus is better than whatever it is that you want to stack up against him. He's better. And frankly, the vision for the future that these men and women need in the midst of their difficulty is the reality that there is one who is coming, who is the creator of the world, and he will be the ruler of the world one day. And so the writer of Hebrews is drawing their attention to this one. Notice what he does of this one in in chapter 10, verse 19. You guys want to flip back just a little bit. Notice what he says of Jesus Christ in verse 19 as he continues to move them toward one that he wants them to see. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Chapter 10, verse 19, let us draw near. Let us have confidence to come before the king of the universe. As the writer of Hebrews writes to this group of people, they were people who had incredible Old Testament and Jewish background, and he's painting a picture of the temple. And in the Old Testament, the Jews were quite aware that they would come to, in order to come to worship, in order to come into the presence of God, two things had to happen. One, there had to be a sacrifice for their sins. And the second thing is they needed a mediator who could come between them and God. So the whole temple was built in such a way with priests and sacrifices that they were reminded over and over again that they couldn't come before God without a sacrifice and without a priest. And what the book of Hebrews is going to say is that Jesus is going to offer a sacrifice that was better than anything of the Old Testament. And Jesus is going to be a priest that's better than any other priest of the Old Testament. And what Jesus can do and what he has done is unlike anyone else ever who walked on the face of the earth. In fact, if you were with us last week, what we saw in in Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3 is that God spoke through the person of Jesus Christ. And when God spoke through the person of Jesus Christ, he spoke through one who had a resume that was unlike any other person. That Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He he was in the very image and the very nature of God himself. Therefore, there's no better spokesperson for God than Jesus because Jesus shares the same nature as God. And it's not just that he shares the same nature as God, but he's also the world's creator, that God spoke and the world came into creation. You guys were online and all and saw some of the pictures that came out this week of universes and and, uh, uh, stars and whatnot, but some of the most amazing pictures of what our world and our universe looks like. And to realize that there was one who simply spoke and all of that came into creation is phenomenal. And not just that he would speak, he didn't just then walk away, but he spoke and then he held his creation together and he sustained his creation and he will one day return and he will rule over the creation. But Jesus Christ is the world's creator, he is the world's sustainer, and he's the world's future heir. There is none that are like him. And it's not just that he's all powerful and all strong, but he's also our faithful and sympathetic high priest that he gives his own life so that we could have a relationship with God. The God who would speak so that we weren't in darkness and that he would move towards us so that we could have a relationship with him because it's clear that we have sin, that we've fallen short of his perfect standard. That there's something wrong with the motives of our heart. There's something wrong with the very nature and inclinations of our very minds. 
And it separates us from a king and a God of the universe who created us and who wanted a relationship with us. And so Jesus Christ comes and takes on human flesh and he walks and he lives perfectly and he lays his life down so that we can have a relationship with that God that would create us and would come back to rule over us. This is the one who's spoken according to Hebrews chapter 1. This is the one who's our our mediator who goes between us so that we can have a relationship with God. There is none that are like him. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to say, in the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of whatever vision for the future you have, set your eyes upon the person of Jesus Christ. There is no future. There is no omega. There is no end of times apart from this one. And so whatever vision for the future you have, it needs to be centered upon the person of Jesus Christ. I want to give you guys two basic ideas this morning, two basic charges. And the first is this, as you begin a new semester, set your eyes upon the person of Christ. Set your vision upon the person of Jesus Christ. I know this week that you had syllabus shock, right? Uh, you had a vision of what your spring semester is going to now be. Might have been a little bit different than what you thought it was going to be, right? And now it's taking shape. But I want to even move your vision past that and exalt it even higher to say, your life is not contained in syllabuses, right? Syllabi. You don't have syllabuses, right? Uh, your life is not contained in syllabi, right? They're not your only objectives in life. They are important and they are significant. And I want to see you honor the Lord as you walk as a student, But I want your vision for the semester to be even larger than just that. I want it to center on the person of Jesus Christ. Because as your vision is upon the person of Jesus Christ, then you now have perspective upon school. You now have perspective upon the future and amidst the present difficulties that you're facing. That that vision upon Christ is absolutely essential. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you yet come into a place where you have a relationship with this one who is our creator and he is our savior? And he's going to be one day our future ruler. Do you know this Jesus? If you don't, my hope is that you're seeking. My hope is that you're going to ask some questions and that you'll continue to come talk to us, talk to your table hosts. And I hope that you find in this place that you can wrestle with who this person is, this Jesus Christ. Every semester, every week this semester, we're going to be really continuing to zone in on that question. Who is this Jesus? Maybe for some of you this spring, you can come to know him for the first time. For some of you, my hope is that you come to know him even deeper and in new profound ways this spring. So first, set your vision upon Jesus Christ. And the second thing is going to be this. Set your life in community. You know, you can know the finish line. You can know where the future is heading. And that motivation is hugely significant, but it's not enough to get to the finish line. You can know where you're headed, but if you don't know how to get there, it doesn't matter that you know the destination, right? And what the writer of Hebrews is going to do is he's going to highlight not just the finish line for us, but he's going to highlight the methodology of how we get there. He's going to hit us not just with motivation, but he's going to also hit us with methodology. Notice what happens in verse uh, 23. The writer of Hebrews then says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. The writer of Hebrews says, look, we have this hope. We have this vision for the future, this certain and confident expectation of what is to come. And he says, let us hold that hope together. <laughs> That is huge that you have a sense of the vision of who Jesus Christ is, but for you to have that vision in and of yourself in isolation, it is not enough. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast that confession together. He says in verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's wonderful if we have a sense of where the future and where human history is heading. But for us just to have that in isolation and independent from one another, it is not enough to sustain us in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of trials. The reality is, even in good times or in bad times, we need one another. 
You were not created to know God and to walk with God and to move into a closer sense of who he is and be transformed into his image in isolation. There are no Lone Ranger Christians out there. My hope for you guys this semester as you begin a new semester is that you'll set your vision upon the person of Jesus Christ and that vertical relationship with him, but you'll also set your life in community and the horizontal relationship with the people of God. You need community, and the community needs you. It's not possible to walk in isolation from one another and really continue to know God more deeply and be transformed into his image. Yet I think for many of us, as we think about community, as we think about our experiences of community, it is typically a pretty sometimes superficial thing, right? Uh, sometimes it's funny little t-shirts, funny little markers of what community is. Maybe it's secret handshakes, secret languages. I don't know what it is for you, right? Uh, maybe you're part of a sorority or fraternity. Maybe you've been in some campus organization. We have all different visions of what community looks like. I think every single one of us is looking for community. And yet sometimes I think we really miss what community really, really is. Community really is a commitment to a group of people. It's not about consumption. It's not about what you can get from some people, but it's a willingness to commit yourself to a group of people, to know them and to be known by them. In that sense, it really is putting your life underneath their authority, letting them speak into your life, letting them challenge you, letting them push you, letting them see into those areas that you don't want other people to see. We love community. We love being a part of the student body, either of Blinn or A&M. We love that sense of association, that sense of identity, that sense of tradition. But sometimes really what we're really looking for is also something that we're terrified of. To really be known, to really be challenged, to really be loved deeply, and to let people see us as we really, really are is actually what we most long for, but it's also sometimes what we're most scared of. That's why some of you guys have commitment issues in dating, Right? someone really got to see me as I was, then man, we would have some problems. And so you run away because you're scared of them actually knowing you at times. For some of us, we move through cycles of friendships because really when people get too close, we end up hurting them. We think they're not going to stick with us. And so we run before they even have a chance to forgive us and reconcile in relationships. The church is meant to be a place where you experience a kind of experience of community that you most long for, that you're most scared of, but that you can find in a way more profoundly than you can find it anywhere else. As we walk through the rest of the semester, at some point we're going to come back and we're going to even talk about membership at a church. And really, I think often we've really missed the boat in talking to you guys as students and helping you understand what church is and what you're called to. Typically, what we do over and over again is we say, hey, here's what we want to offer you guys. I want to flip the script this semester, and I want to say to you guys, what are you going to offer the church? What are you going to offer this community? And, and maybe this isn't the community that the Lord's going to have you in. Maybe it's going to be another church. Maybe you're looking around going, hey, where, Lord, where do you have me to be? Whether it's here at Grace or it's going to be somewhere else, I want to call you and challenge you. Commit yourself to a group of people this spring. Let them know you. Let them challenge you. And find a place that you can commit your life and you can give your life away. It's not about what you can get. It's about what you can give away. That's what community really looks like. Which really, I'm going to give you guys two visions for different kinds of experiences of community here at Grace. One of those is what you're experiencing and sitting in right now. A little over a year ago, we completely changed the format of this service so that you guys could experience community in, I think, a more profound way. We wanted you guys as students to get to know one another, which I think happens much more in this kind of context than it does just in what is a traditional service. But we also wanted you guys, as a part of the local church, to experience a multi-generational experience of community. You guys get a ton of opportunities to find student community. And what we wanted to do, even as a college ministry here on a Sunday morning, was put it very accessible for you guys so that you guys could connect not just with fellow students, 
but that you guys could connect with families here at Grace and adults here at Grace. We hear it over and over again through the years. And so we finally made a change to go, if you guys as students want families, well, here they are. And so for these families that are sitting at your table, they've said, hey, I would love to connect with students. I would love to help them find and get connected here at Grace. They want to know you. They want to walk with you. They're going to be here on Sunday mornings. They want to find some opportunities for the semester to connect with you even outside of Sunday mornings. Because we want you guys to experience a community that, frankly, is different than you. These families are going to offer you a lot. Uh, They may also need some things as well. So even this morning as we serve lunch, I can promise you their kids are going to be here and it's going to be pure pandemonium, all right? Uh, You could actually even help them with their kids, all right? Uh, So they can actually have a conversation. They're going to help their kids get food, all right? And so community is not just what you give, but it's also what you can give back. And I think for the years, we've often not really said that very strongly to you guys. What church is, is a place for you to find an experience of community that's meant to be unlike any other where there's a diversity of ethnicity, there's a diversity of age, but there's a unity around the person of Jesus Christ whom we confess and whom we know and whom we're walking to be more and more like. So that's a huge piece of what we're trying to do for you guys in experiencing communities, these table host groups. So if this is your first time, I want you guys to know there's no assigned seating, all right? This is kind of like Southwest Airlines, all right? Feel free to move around the cabin, all right? Uh, We want you guys to find a family that you're going to connect with. Some of you guys have been here for more than a semester. You really kind of locked in with a family. If this is your first time, I realize you're probably going to table date for a little bit. You know, that's just kind of natural, all right? Let's just kind of go own it and call it what it is, all right? As you kind of look for a family, uh, which is just normal, all right? But I'd say by the third or fourth Sunday, Lock in with a couple. Lock in with a family. Don't let the semester go by without really going deep with a family. None of these families, none of us are perfect. And our hope is that you see us in our mess and you see us in our parenting. You're going to see a real authentic moment at about 1220 when our kids are in here. And it's going to be crazy, all right? And you're going to go, they're really good parents, really? All right? You're going to see some authentic moments with us, all right? That's what we want you to see, though, okay? Um, but also, we want you guys to be able to really jump in and experience community. And so I think these table host groups are meant to be a starting spot for you guys, but it's not an end point. We want you guys to experience another level of community as well. And so if you guys will notice on your tables, you'll see these green howdy cards, all right? If you guys want to grab one of those, hopefully there's enough for each of you guys. And I want to highlight for you guys just each of the different groups that are in there, all right? Uh, we have, offer a whole bunch of different college, different grace groups here uh, in the spring semester. A lot of different opportunities for you guys to experience community, uh, have opportunities to serve, have opportunities to develop as leaders. And so I want to highlight these for you guys. We won't do this every Sunday morning. In fact, this will be the only Sunday that I kind of really slowly walk through these for you guys, all right? Uh, at the top of the deal, you're going to find kind of what we've kind of categorized as our start groups. Uh, so if you are a, a freshman this year, how many of you guys are freshmen? Raise your hand. All right, that's awesome. It's fun seeing you guys. Glad y'all are here. Uh, Dulos is our freshman Bible study deal, all right? It meets Thursday nights on campus, and I think for a freshman is one of the best opportunities to connect here as a local church here at Grace Bible Church. It's also a great spot to then eventually emerge as a leader as well. So if you're a freshman, love for you to consider Dulos. We have some Dulos leaders that are in here. Uh, They will love to answer any questions for you. If you If you're a freshman, you want to know more about it, ask at your table. Come ask me. I'd love to connect you with one of our Dulos leaders. Uh, Maybe you're not a freshman. Maybe you're an upperclassman, but this whole spirituality thing, this whole Christianity thing, you're just not sure about. Maybe you've never been in a Bible study. Maybe that's kind of intimidating. You're like, I'm not sure (laughs) about this whole thing, all right? Uh, Well, for you guys, we have something that we call our start groups, all right? And so there you're going to see, it's called, uh, they're called start groups. They're for upperclassmen. Those meet Thursday nights at our Anderson campus, and they're a great place, hence the term, 
Great place to start, all right? If you're unsure of this whole Christianity thing, if you have some questions, man, we want you to come with questions. We want you to feel a freedom to ask them. We want you to feel a freedom to feel like you don't have to know all the answers. None of us do. We're all just trying to figure out. We're all kind of messes, and we're in messes and in community trying to figure it out together. But those start groups are an amazing spot just to kind of start out figuring out, hey, how do I study the Bible? What is the Bible? What am I doing here with this thing? Great place to do that. Uh, if you're an upperclassman and maybe you've kind of done Bible study before, uh, we're going to be doing a study on Thursday nights at our Anderson campus and right here at our Southwood campus called His Story. I'll tell you guys, it is probably one of the most pivotal studies I ever walked through as a college student. We're going to walk you guys through your Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation and help you kind of see the thread of the storyline that weaves your Bible together. We're going to look at the covenants of the Old Testament. We're going to end up looking at the Gospels. We're going to help see, we're going to end up bringing you to areas that you're familiar with, but it's going to have way more detail and way more vividness because of the Old Testament background that we're going to help you understand. So if you've ever felt like your Bible is this giant ocean and you have no idea how to navigate it, his story is a perfect study for you. It's going to really help you navigate and figure out how your Bible holds together. It's one of my favorite studies I ever went through as a student. I think you're going to be blown away by it. Those will be uh, Thursday nights at Anderson and at Southwood. Those are our grow groups. Uh, if you're looking for something more than just a Bible study only, those are our serve groups, all right? Our serve groups will be studying his story, but they're also going to be doing a, a series of different practical ministry pieces that are really vital to our college ministry. So if you want to study and you really want to be engaged and kind of pushed in, in helping out in a practical way, our serve groups are for you guys. We have three different serve groups that are right here at our Southwood campus. One of those is our Connect team. Our Connect team helps greet on the back on a Sunday morning. They help with pulling off for our retreats as well. And so our Connect team, are absolutely vital in helping draw people in and helping people get connected. And so that's our Connect team. Our crew team helps do a ton of setup and behind-the-scenes service stuff. Uh, they help set up our room on Sunday morning. They help tear our room down after the service. Our service, our crew team also is in charge of all the different work projects that we put on in the spring in which we help you guys come and serve uh, with families at our church and help raise money for our college mission trips. And so our serve groups are hugely vital. We really practically need help with our crew teams and our connect teams. The other team that we have is our prayer team. Uh, if you have a heart for prayer, or maybe you just find like prayer is something you just don't get, or you're trying to grow in it, our prayer team would be a great spot for you to kind of get stretched in prayer, help put on some prayer events for our college ministry. So those are the three teams that are on our, that are right here at Southwood that you can get jumped in with and connected to. They're going to be studying the Bible, and they're going to be uh, serving in some really practical ways. The last one I want to highlight for you guys is our life after college. So how many of you guys are graduating seniors in here? All right. The, the grizzly veteran, uh, long in the tooth ones. All right. Lord willing that you find a job. We're praying for you. All right. You will. All right. Just kidding. But you got a giant transition coming, right? Maybe your vision for the future is moving past the spring semester to the great unknown known as life after college. All right. Uh, these life after college groups are for graduating seniors only who are looking at that transition. Uh, and it's going to be a very practical, topical study. It walks through finances. It walks through marriage. It walks through career and work. How does your faith relate to the workplace? It'll help you develop a budget. It'll help you think through all those practical issues from conflict resolution to how to find a church when you take off from this place because grace doesn't exist as you take off, and that's okay. As you take off to Dallas, Houston, or wherever you're going to head. But those graduating senior studies, we have a ton of families that lead those. Those, are, those meet in their homes, uh, families that are in careers that can speak to you from their vocation and help you kind of think through with where you're headed and how your faith relates to all those things incredibly practical, incredibly helpful. Love for you guys to consider those. So there's all kinds of opportunities that we're kind of putting in front of you. If you're a junior or senior, the other option that's in front of you guys is you guys can jump into adult Bible studies. You guys can jump into adult home churches, especially for you juniors and seniors. So all kinds of opportunities. I want to challenge you this semester, two things. 
Set your eyes upon Jesus Christ and set your life in community. I'll tell you guys, for Marcy and I, even ourselves, uh, we have been engaged and we do all kinds of stuff. We were constantly running left and right all over into different opportunities. And we kind of had an awareness and we looked in our lives the last year or so and thought, we just aren't experiencing community in the way that we should be. And we need community. And so even for us this semester, we've made some decisions with some people that are in our lives and say, hey, we want to go deeper and we want to get together consistently. We want to not forsake the assembling and being together presently with one another. We need community. We can't just keep running in the way that we've been running. We need people to be in our lives who know us, who aren't impressed with us, and can call us out. That's what I want you guys to have as well. We need it. You need it. You need community, and the community that's here needs you as well. So let me pray for us, and then you guys have the rest of the time in table groups. Uh, Lord God, I thank you for your kindness to us. Uh, I thank you that you've created us so that we need one another. Uh, that none of us have all the different gifts that we need in life. That none of us have all the different experiences that we need to learn from, Lord. That you have created us and that you have led us in such a way that we can be a wonderful blessing to the people that are in our lives. Uh, Lord, that our gifts fit alongside of the gifts that are in our community, Lord. That our gifts fit alongside of those that we're in a team with. And Father, I pray this semester, Lord, I pray that you would, no matter what comes, no matter the syllabus shock that's already hit us, no matter the trials that are going to be coming that maybe we don't even know about, Father, I pray that you'd set our eyes upon your son, Jesus Christ. That either we can know him for the first time or we can know him more deeply this spring. And that as we would pursue him and as we pursue to know him and be made like him, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to find our lives in the context of community. To know and to be known and to be called forward. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to not run after 80 million different things. Help us to do a few things well and to build in some priorities in our life and community being one of them. That we would find a place that we'd consistently slow down. We'd consistently be known. We'd have a consistent opportunity to open our lives up to someone else and to say, love me, see me as I am, and challenge me forward. Lord, that's what we ask for. That's what we pray for, that you would allow us to find that kind of community this semester, that you'd give us a vision for it even as we move outside of college, and that you'd begin to uh, shape in us a sense of what community profoundly really looks like. So we know what to pursue as we move forward so that we would be able to walk with you for a lifetime, Lord. That's what we ask for. Father, we ask for these things through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.